as they were singing that song. And I was worshiping God, but there was just a moment where it wasn't just worshiping God by faith, but you felt his presence actually walk into the room. And when Jesus makes his presence known, it changes everything. I love his presence. And they're singing that song. One of my favorite words to describe God is, is holy. Love would be another, but holy. Just if you engage that word, if you engage that concept of perfect, sacred, reverent, without error, who are we that he would allow us to tread his courts? to breathe air that he gave us being that we're unholy imperfect impure unclean unfaithful inconsistent and he who is faithful the same yesterday today and forever would every morning make us a fresh batch of mercy for it is new every morning what kind of god is this that we serve it says, you know, who, who's going to abide in God's tabernacle? Who's going to ascend into the hill? There's a litany of characteristics about walking unright, walking uprightly, working righteously, speaking the truth in his heart. People that have a clean hand and a pure heart. It's, it's why I, I want to live holy. Because he is holy. You know, the Bible says, I was just trying to find in scripture if they have a moment to put it up they could if not you can just listen to it it's first john 3 3 god brought this scripture to my mind in that song as it's talking in verse 2 that beloved now we are the sons of god we're the children of god and it doesn't appear what we're going to be but this is what we know that when jesus appears we will be like him because we'll get to see him as he is now, here's the kicker, verse 3. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Like, you might be right with God, but you're still wanting to make sure you live right for God. It's an ongoing desire to live a process of sanctification or holiness. Because your hope is not in this world. It's what's ahead of you. And what is ahead of you is eternal. In that eternity, the place of paradise, the one who inhabits the throne there is holy. And because he is holy, nothing unholy will be in his presence. So I have this motivation that he has saved me. He has justified me so I can live under sanctification so I can arrive before his throne. I want to see Jesus more than I've ever wanted to see him. This world's absolutely insane. This world's crazy. This thing is reeling to and fro like a drunkard. It's unstable. It's falling to pieces. Jesus is our sure foundation. And I want, I want to see him. I want the real thing. That's why we cannot be shaken by anything in this world. Because everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken. And I want to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain. Hallelujah. Thank you, worship team, for being 
used of God to usher in the presence of God. Church, we're blessed. We, we really are blessed. In the middle of the prairie, there's this sanctuary where the presence of God is, where people that love God are. This is a, an excellent, excellent place to be. You may be seated. Man, I almost feel like a rambling spirit on me, and I better just, I better not ramble too much. But I, I, I just feel so grateful to feel the presence of God and to be amongst the people of God. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn in the New Testament to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. I do feel very clear direction from the Lord. Now, I don't know if I will be able to voice with clarity the clear concept I feel the Lord has put on my heart to teach here today. But I do feel the presence of God and I do feel a release to speak about what we're going to speak about here today. And I just pray that God will give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Usually, the filter, not usually, every day we have this filter called flesh. And everything you hear goes through that flesh. In your response, your reaction, you must realize when it is kicked back and resistant to the Word of God and to the ministry of God, Remember, the first filter it went through is flesh. And so you got to say, well, well my, my response, is it of God or is it not of God? What would be of God in response? And this is why Jesus said, he that hath ears, let him hear. And when he speaks to the church, the churches should hear what the Spirit is saying. I want to hear what the Spirit is saying. So can we pray that before we dive in here? Would we begin to open our voice, our heart, and begin to pray, God, give me ears to hear today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for allowing us to feel your presence, Lord. And I pray right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, any element that would be contrary to the Spirit of the living God would be overcome today. I pray every element that is contrary to your very nature, Jesus, I pray that it is overcome and that it is defeated. And I pray, Lord, that there would be an unction in this house. I pray, God, that you would give me a calm persuasion and confidence in the spirit, Lord, what you have spoken to me to speak to your church. And as we, Lord, are here today, I pray this moment would not be wasted. I pray, God, we do not get distracted by everything that would try to capture our attention, Lord, and compete for your word. I pray that you have preeminence in this place. And somebody say, in Jesus' name. Amen. First Timothy chapter two, verses eight through 10. It says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, not just in the church building everywhere, not just on Sunday, but always. I hope the men in this place are praying everywhere and every day. If you're not praying everywhere, if you're not praying every day, you're going to find yourself with the inability to lift up holy hands you will be with wrath, and you will be of a doubting spirit. But it is those who pray daily and put their flesh in check daily that are consistently plugged into God, that can lift up holy hands without wrath, doubt, and that have a liberty upon them. I want to have liberty. In verse 9, it says, In like manner also the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with 
broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. I want to focus on a word in verse 9. That is the word shamefacedness. And I ask this question to us today that I feel the Spirit is prompting us and provoking is whatever happened to shamefacedness? Whatever happened to shamefacedness? Now, this book, I mean, I know my Bible is probably thicker than the average one. It's not because I have like the Apocrypha or the Book of Moroni in there. It's just I have blank pages between each page for notes. I like to engage the scripture. But even if you had the world's tiniest Bible, it's still a pretty thick book. Of all the books you own, it's probably one of the thickest. If it is thinner than your other books, that fine print added together probably competes with whatever book that it is that is in your room. If you even still own books in this day and age that we are living. But this book called the Bible is a book that most base their faith as talking about Christians. They base their faith and eternal destination upon this book right here. Am I in a group of people that believe the Bible is the word of God? So this is where Christians get their faith from, from the Bible, from God's word. And yet, surprisingly, most do not read this book. I haven't surveyed the country in regards to general Christendom, but I have surveyed the Pentecostal movement and I have discovered that 25% of people read through their Bible in a year and only about half read their Bible daily. That is alarming to me when we are supposed to be basing our actions, our lifestyle, our conduct, our behavior stemming from this book called the Bible that we consider to be the word of God. Love God love people is how Jesus summarized it. Most people don't read the Bible, but they will try to simplify the Bible by borrowing the concept from Jesus of how the whole book, all of the letter of the law from the Old Testament hinges upon two commandments, and that is to love God and to love people. And when you divide up the Ten Commandments, it's how it is set up. It's about your neighbor, loving your neighbor as yourself, and loving God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. I love when you can outline something. I love when you can simplify it. But the Bible at the same time is not so simple. It's not so, uh, it's not a book to be merely reduced to that. Yes, the concept, the idea, you have it right there. Love God, love people. But what does it mean to love God? And what does it mean to love people? You have to dive a little deeper into the book. And that's where personal study comes very handy, where it is needed. God gave us this mass text message to shed light on our darkness. And he gave us what we would call the full counsel of God. Paul, as he is stepping into a new season, transitioning from this church, he says, look, I, I haven't shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That's the kind of church we want to be in, is a church that does not shy away from giving the full counsel of God. I, I, I remember growing up, there was certain counsel I liked from my parents, but then there was a high majority of counsel I didn't give a rip. I didn't want to hear from my parents. Well, God is not 
to be treated like your parents, and your parents are not to be treated like the way you have treated them. For the Lord said, honor your father and mother, and all the children in the house said amen. But we need to not just pick and choose what elements of God counsels that we accept and embrace, but we want the full counsel of God. And the interesting thing to me is that this, this same truth will set us free is the same truth that will make enemies. The same truth that sets free is the same truth that makes enemies. You could jot these down and look at them later when you're reading the book of Galatians chapter 3 and chapter 4. And and, and in verse 16 of chapter 4, Paul says this to the church. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And then Jesus, he says to his followers, he says, because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Paul and Jesus both lost following because of this concept called truth that had the ability to totally, completely, absolutely liberate and set captives free. But it was the same thing that people would choose to make Jesus and Paul their enemy was this concept called truth. And we are the wiser. We are the better to get personally engaged and immersed in the word of God. This thick book called the Bible. The word Bible, it just literally means books. It is a book of books. There are 66 books comprised in front to back of this binding. It is called the Bible. It is called the canon of scripture. The standard is what is the measuring stick to let us know what an inch is, to let us know what a yard is, to let us know what a mile is, to let us know what a meter is. It is the canon. It is what we measure our lives by the Bible. These 66 books make up 1,189 chapters in your Bible. In your Bible, this book, these 66 books, these 1,189 chapters make up 31,102 verses that we read, that we should be reading. But it's much overlooked and very understudied. Even when we do check off a list and read through it in a year, how much do we engage the book and begin to look at it as the Bible says in the book of James chapter 1, that this book, this engrafted word is able to save our souls, that it is considered a looking glass. It's like a man that looks into a mirror and the mirror reveals elements about our features, whether we like those features or not. That's what the book does. It gives you a real reflection. It gives you a real view. It gives, I I think I mentioned this before. There's certain mirrors I do not like, and there's certain lighting that I do not like. My wife and I, we prefer that yellow light, that low level a wattage going on because that low level light that makes you look like you got jaundice, at least you don't see the acne, at least you don't see the blackheads, and at least you don't see all the wrinkles and the imperfection. I like that low level light. I like the mirror that isn't so crisp and clear. I like more of the carnival mirrors where I can walk in front of them and they can make me look taller than I really am. There's certain mirrors I like more than others. But the Bible is not a mirror to be manipulated. It is a clear light, a clear reflection to show you who you are in comparison to God. Not who you are in comparison to the person you're sitting next to, but who you are in contrast 
to the Holy One of Israel, the Holy One who sits on the throne. And with that measurement, we begin to realize where I am is not my final destination. I ought not to settle for where I am. I ought to continue in my journey so I can arrive before this Holy One that we sing about today. And it brings us to our opening text. There are many scriptures we can apply what I am mentioning to, but I feel quickened to draw our attention to these verses. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, 1 Timothy 2, 8, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly arrayed. If you notice carefully when you look at verse 8, verse 9, one verse seems to mention the men. The other verse seems to mention the women. The reason why it seems that way is because it is that way. It is using separate gender distinction to address separate issues. But it is not to isolate those issues as if I will that only men pray everywhere. Women do not have to pray. Women do not have to lift up holy hands. They can have wrath and they can have doubting. It's only men that have to pray. It's only men that that would be absurd. Same thing with the verse 9. It's not saying it's for women only to be modest. Men can be as immodest as they want. Only women have to have shamefacedness. Men, they do not have to worry about shamefacedness. That's it, it, not how to read the scripture correctly. But he is addressing the struggle of each camp there. He is addressing the struggle of the men. He is addressing the struggle of the women. Which one, I believe, in the immediate church context of who he's addressing. But in the wider spectrum as a whole, men struggle with appearance before God. Women struggle with appearance before men. They're more conscious and aware about their physical appearance before people. Where men... And you see him walk out of the house every day and he's just like, well, they sure didn't look in any mirror at all. <laughs> because they, don't, they just don't care. It's just not that big of a deal to them. Now, we can go down the trail of how some men seem to care a little too much about their appearance. And we can get to that in maybe a moment here. But the point is, men, they struggle with being humble and broken and dependent upon God. Women have an easier time that's why it typically be used. It typically it lends itself where ladies are the first converts of the home into the church is because they have a sensitivity to God. They have a desire to need God. They have an openness and a brokenness to cry out and to intercede and to pray and to travail. Where men, they're not as emotional. They're not. And it's not that they cannot be emotional. It's just it's an area. Of struggle for them. Now I know 100% of ladies are not that way. And I know 100% of men are not that way. But in the generalization of it. That is the typical way it is in society. Now the world can redefine gender. The world can redefine all they want. But anyone with a lick of common sense knows this to be true. It is nature. It is nature itself. Someone could say they identify whatever is all they want. But you go back and you dig through the ruins of Egypt and you find a skeletal structure. You can just tell by the pelvis whether it's a male or whether it is a female. And nobody gets on their case. Well, how dare you? How dare you? 
assume that that Pharaoh identified as a male. Like, nobody thinks that way. But we're trying to redefine everything right now to try to accommodate and ease the conscience of humanity so they feel no guilt and feel no remorse and feel no adverse effect from their decision, no consequent, no repercussion. But the Bible is the word of God, and a Christian that embraces the Bible as such must come to the conclusion that here is what the word says. Uh, The word adorn in verse 9, in case any of these words escape definition and meaning and clarity to you, the word adorn means to put in proper order, that is to decorate, to garnish. The next word in that scripture is it says women adorn themselves as they decor, as they dress themselves to be in modest apparel. Now, here's what's interesting in this verse is that the word adorn and the word modest both come from the same word cosmos, where we get the word world. The element of the world, the spirit of the world, the concept of the world. See, the world has its ideology about adornment. And about modesty. But we do not look to the world for the concept of adornment and modesty. We are looking to God's word. God, what do you say is correct decor? What is it that you say is correct modesty? That would not be immodest or inappropriate. The next word, shamefacedness, which we're going to be focusing on here. It's through the idea of a downcast look. Eyes that look downward. It is a bashfulness. It is modesty. And literal definition of the word meaning towards men. It is a look upon a woman, a spirit upon a woman that is not drawing attention to self, but trying to be bashful and to try to not gain attention towards men, towards themselves. You can fact check me if you just think I'm making all of this up. Go into the language of the word of God itself. But it also means that it is trying to get the attention of men away, but getting the attention of God towards you. It's about getting the right attention. That attention being the reverence and the awe of God. Shamefacedness. Whatever happened to shamefacedness. The next word is sobriety. In the scripture, which means a soundness of mind, literal sanity, self-control, soberness, to have a sober mind. When you look at these definitions that I just mentioned to you, that I read off to you, is it any wonder that we are living in a world that is in complete contrast to those scriptures right now? Where the world says, men don't need to pray. They don't need to come to church. They don't need to be emotional. They, 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 you, you need to have a little chip on your shoulder. You need to be a man. You need to be tough. You need to be whatever. And it's, it's the temperament in which men walk in. But the scripture says, no, you're not supposed to feed that wrath. You're supposed to be feeding a different spirit. You need to deny that spirit. And you need to learn to lift up your hands, not in anger, not in a fight, but towards God in surrender, in humility, saying, I need you. And ladies, though the world right now is in complete 
diametrically opposed to what we just read. They said, it doesn't matter what you wear. Don't let anyone define your expression of self, your freedom, your liberty, your body, your expression, your billboard. You do whatever it is that you want with it. But the word of the Lord says, no, there, the adornment, the cosmos of this world, the concept of this world is the complete opposite. It is to be immodest. It is to draw attention to self. You want people to look at you. You want people to think this about you because you want to feel as if you are beautiful, as you are accepted, that you have value, that there's something worthwhile about you. And as I mentioned here, the lesson here is women struggle with appearance before man and men struggle with appearance before God. First Timothy 2.10 goes on to say, becoming women professing godliness with good works. It is a process. Again, it is not isolated to solely women. And the other verse is not isolated solely to men. It is both and. It is both and. We both have to have these concepts in our life. Men and women need to pray. Men and women need to be modest. Men and women ought not to be drawing attention to self. They should be drawing attention to God. Men and women should have a desire inside them saying, you know what? I have lived my life all about me. Me, me, me. I want this. I want that. I want to look the best. I want everyone to think I'm awesome. I want to look sexy. I want to look handsome. I want to look attractive. I, it's all about the external. And God says, no, there's something beyond the external that has greater value that I am trying to get from you and extract it and let it come to the forefront so people see that the reverence is toward God, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I was, someone referenced a, uh, a YouTube video and it was, it, it got me a little worked up and it's not why I'm preaching this, but it just happens to be the same time I received it. It was the same time I was preparing for this. And it, it's this, I don't know how new a recent song is, but it's by a Christian artist named Matthew West and it's called Modest is Hottest. And, uh, it, it, it sounds cute, funny, whatever. And the opening scene is, is I'm listening to a song. Like, I, I didn't know what to make of it, and I'm, I'm not going to try to overanalyze it. But it really, it still bothers me uh, for a number of reasons. And I won't go through a, a big tangent here. But my interpretation of it, I don't know the artist. I haven't read some thorough thing about his view of it. But my artist, uh, view a point of it is basically he's aging himself as an old dad. It's like, it says, modest is hottest, sincerely your dad. He's singing to his daughters about how modesty is, a, is the right thing. So it sounds like a good theme. But it's a satirical song that really just, he's cutting his feet out from underneath him of any influence and authority, saying, I'm just an old, I'm just an old man. You know, I, m- my concept of modesty is some aged thing. And, and, and the, whole, the whole video, his daughters are rolling their eyes at him as he keeps trying to put clothing that would cover their skin that's the song you watch you can watch it. it's not i don't know maybe don't watch it i don't know but the, the reason why i think he doesn't really believe modest is hottest because the opening scene of his daughters is immodest and i'm thinking if i'm a father that really embraces a concept of modesty i'm not going to put my girls my daughters out there for the world to watch them in immodest clothing if i really do believe it so he can say whatever he wants, 
But the way I take it is my daughter is not going to be propped up for people to look at in immodest clothing. Because the opening scene, there's just short shorts sit on the couch and it's just you're seeing basically her under thigh. And it's just like, what in the world? Now, it's not porn. It's not like, but it's definitely inappropriate enough that we in the song, in the writer himself is contrasting what modesty and immodesty is. Because while they're dressed immodest, then he sings about modesty, and there's something in completely different, talking about a turtleneck and long length sleeves, and he's just basically it's making a mock of the whole concept of modesty. And so that song really just bothered me because that is our world right now. That modesty is some, some aged, nasty, backwards thing. And what bothered me even more was the comments. I, I encourage you, go, go ahead, go, go, go to YouTube and look at Modest is Hottest. Matthew West and read the comments that ensue after it. It is like an all out warfare of people attacking whether or not he's being serious or not serious. They don't really know, but they're basically just making accusations. How dare you? How dare you attack? You know, because he sings about yoga pants and he sings about, you know, little shorts and all this kind of stuff. And the, 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 onslaught of people that claim to be Christian that surface on that YouTube channel with the commentary. It is anything but Christian commentary. Even if they were correct, the spirit in which they are addressing it is not peaceful, is not loving, is not merciful, is not forgiving. And that tells me enough about a spirit that would try to defend immodesty. Because when you begin to discuss modesty, especially in the day we're living in right now in the 21st century, it is a hot topic. It is an absolute topic that enrages people. And I'm not, I'm not uh, against, you know, I'm not trying to make the whole world follow this exact, you got to wear this color. It's got to be, you know, past your toe. That's not how you legislate. You cannot legislate holiness, but it is a spirit. It is a revelation. When someone realizes there is a spirit that God is for, and there is a spirit that God is against and which spirit, which side of the camp do I find myself on? Which side of the camp do I find myself walking towards knowing the nature of God? So a couple questions as Christians, what do we do with these verses? Because they're in your Bible. They're right there in your Bible. Everyone, anyone here have a Bible? It's in your Bible. So what are you going to do with those verses we just read? Do they matter? Are they relevant? Why are they there? Do they apply? Was it only applicable 2,000 years ago? If so, which parts? Like the prayer part or the clothing part? Like, which part applies 2,000 years ago and today? What? Men don't have to pray? They don't have to lift up hands? Women can now be immodest because modesty was just a cultural moment 2,000 years ago. Church, we were made in God's image. But ever since the fall of man, man has struggled with images. Self-image and graven image has always been the struggle since the fall of man. Self-image, graven image. In America, we have made ourselves the image. We have made ourselves the idol. 
We have made us the very thing that we worship, that we put our way above Yahweh. We put our preference over God's reverence and holiness and, and his ways and methods and nature. We got to realize it is the way our society is leaning. It can boldly say American idol without any fear of repercussion to saying, oh, this is what we do. We idolize elements in America and whatever element has the most talent is the most drawing is the most alluring. That is what we will idolize. That is what we'll celebrate. And that's what will parade down the street. It is where we live today. So much. So is God passionate about this idea of images? He put it in his top 10, the 10 commandments. If you didn't know what his top 10 were <laughs> now, we've got some late bloomers Exodus 20 and verse 4, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, earth beneath, or that is water under the earth. He goes on to expound in Deuteronomy 4, 16, lest you corrupt yourselves and make a graven image. The similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female. It doesn't just have to be some, some God with like a fish tail and a bull head and like, you know, unicorn hands that, that is an idol. It says it could be a male or female. It could be any image that becomes an object of worship and self-importance above the importance of God. Psalm 115 verses 4 through 8 gives us an insight about the spirit of an idol, an image. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes they have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they do not hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot handle feet, but they cannot walk. Neither can they speak through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. It is a disappointing, a let down trust when there is an image that you pursue that you are after, that is elevated, that is celebrated, that becomes more important in your current context culturally than something we read about biblically. It becomes the image that we make with our hands, that this society has engrafted, this society has molded, this society has shaped and put up in front of everybody every single day to walk down an aisle of Walmart and you're just going to buy some gum or get a candy bar. You see the very image of what is worshipped in America. You see the very image of what is celebrated in our world. You go to the other aisle to maybe just get a drink, a beverage, and again, the mag magazines all laced all over. Image after image after image of what everybody pursues, what everybody celebrates, which they wish they could be, or they hope to meet that person one day. It is an image-driven society that we are enamored by, that we are getting pulled into. And he says, they that make them are like them, everyone that trusts in them. They have quite the appearance, but at the core, they're empty and lifeless. Any image you make of yourself that is not the image of God at the core, the image looks good, but at the core, it's empty and lifeless. Those images, they look good and they drew the attention of a whole nation but it could not give anything to the nation. It could not satisfy their heart. It could not satisfy their soul. It could not speak to them. It could not minister to them. An image that is not the image of God will leave you empty and lifeless. It may look good, but it won't do you any good at the end 
of the day. Shamefacedness. Whatever happened to shamefacedness. You remember what the word means? The downward look, the bashfulness, not drawing attention to one's face or person. Shamefacedness. Our behaviors and our appearance are a window to what is within. Look around you on a daily basis and ask yourself, whatever happened to shamefacedness? Are we a society that embodies that? Or is everything about society, there's this word I'm looking for, what's it called? Selfie. Selfie. The word of the year. The most celebrated practice. The most common practice. Is it shamefacedness? Or is it drawing attention to oneself? I'm not saying if you're here and you've, you've ever taken a selfie that you're going to hell in a handbasket. That's, that's not the point at all. But it is how easily we are pulled into the stream of mainstream society, of what it celebrates, what it embraces, and the amount of time that people look. It's just like, like selfies. They used to call them duck lips. You know, like if someone takes it, I don't even have my phone on me, you know. Don't take no pictures. What, what is pulling you to do that? What spirit is pulling you to make duck lips? Look, I, I'm not trying to make you feel like an idiot. I'm just trying to get you to think. Can we think in the house of God? Can we think for a moment? What is it? Because the truth is, if we went through all of your social media and we scroll back far enough, we're going to find your duck lips. Okay? There ain't no duck lips like Troy's duck lips. If you ever, no, I'm just kidding. I don't know if you, you have bearded duck lips. But here's the point, is that we have all fallen prey. When God has called us, the first attribute of a Christian is to deny your selfie. To stop giving in to self. Stop giving in to your image, your desire, your want, and deny it and say no to it. Even though everybody else is doing it, even though everybody else is celebrating it, why are we feeling this tremendous amount of pressure to cave in, to give in, and to do what the rest of a pagan world has fallen prey to? God, reawaken inside of us a shame-facedness bashfulness about my image not drawing attention towards me the hours that people spend on instagram and tiktok just to get the right video out there and to get the right image out there is it any wonder after a girl does that selfie for three hours two hours one hour however long 20 minutes it matters not for an image that is not literal it is an image that is digital that is put out there and they spend 20 minutes to get the right image the right portray uh, portrait and then spend however long to put filter which filter do i use which filter do i use oh my goodness do i i don't even know the names of the whatever which filter do i use that's the only word that's coming to my mind right now and then and then and then to do all these layers and all this work on that digital image and put it out there so you can get reaction of affirmation Girl, you look good. Uh-huh. Man. Woo. Girl, you're beautiful. 
on and you get all the hearts, you get all the emoticons and all. And as a lady, it does something to you. Wow. I am beautiful. But you look at that image you just spent 20 minutes on, caking up with filters. And then when you're about to exit the house, you realize who you are doesn't match the image that you just layered and filtered. And so now there's an insecurity inside of you to step outside into the real world because you know you don't really meet that image. And so what do I do? How do I engage society? How do I engage reality when nobody pays me those compliments when I'm out in public? But when I'm on IG, it's OMG, everybody's all about me. Everybody comments, everybody likes, everybody says something that's affirming. And so now we got to spend extra time to fix our face all right and put all different colors and shades and all these foundations. We got to do everything we can to try to somehow match the digital image because our natural image that we were made in doesn't compete with that and what society celebrates. And so now I cave in to go out into the world to try to continue my alter ego, my alter image that image that has an altar that we spend time at inordinate, inordinate amount of times. I'm telling you, there's some things that we got to start thinking about. We got to be more intentional on what our daily behaviors and daily practices are. I'm not, again, trying to drag anyone in this room through the mud and make you feel like inferior. I'm trying to open your eyes to see what we as humans fall prey to. That it's so easy to do. It's so easy to fall into it. It's so easy to go the stream. But the truth of the matter is that any dead fish can float downstream. It takes a live salmon to go and fight against the current. And God is wanting to put life inside of you so you stop going down, floating the stream of a dead cesspool society and say, you know what? I want life. God gave me life so I can have it more abundantly. And I'm not just going to go the same direction that everybody else without life is going. God, whatever happen to shame facedness isn't it amazing the conflict in culture is diametrically opposed to the bible you pick the subject matter in your bible whether it be modesty moral purity marriage gender distinction humility self-denial it is the hot topic of the day and there is an aggressive onslaught that is coming against every single one of these and this world will not be satisfied till it knocks out every single christian moral and concept it's already knocked out the the uh, identification of what a marriage is between a man and a woman. They were aggressive. They did not stop until they got their way. But see, it doesn't stop there. They'll never settle. It's everything. They want everything. And so after knocking that down and sexual preference, now it's sexual identity. And it goes on and on and on. The day is coming where we will not even be permitted legally to discuss the subject matter that we're talking about right now in this room. So if it makes you uncomfortable, you ought to be thankful because we still have a moment here to open up our mouths and speak the word of God and the truth of God. We ought to be thankful for a church that's not ashamed or afraid to say, you know what? It's in the book. Let's take a look at it. It's in the book. Let's talk about it. Why we still care.
And the truth be told, even when it becomes illegal, we still will talk about it. We still will address it. We still will discuss it. For in the days of Paul and the apostles, it was illegal to address what they addressed, but they did not cave into the culture and society. Look back in their day, there was immodesty. Back in their day, he, the reason why he addressed modesty and shamefacedness is because it was a struggle. This is not a new problem, but the new problem is a church that has the boldness and courage to address it. That's the difference right now is back then there was a boldness in the early church that said, look, I know what society says, but what this is the spirit of God says. And they had the boldness to put their life on the line to declare the word of God. But modern day Christianity, we acquiesce to try to make everybody happy and not offend nobody. And we don't want to step on any toes. I I don't want to hurt you. I don't want And we don't need to go out intentionally trying to hurt and harm people emotionally. But we do need to have some teaching every now and again to say, look, look, which which path are we going here? Which way are we headed right now? Whatever happened to shamefacedness? Why is there so much attention on my face? Why is there so much decor on my face? Why is there so much finance on my face? God, what spirit am I fueling? Just try to help. I remember my mother sharing this personal story with me. When she, my parents, they're first generation Pentecostal. I, they weren't always in this. You've heard me say it over and over again. But the story is my mom, when she first got together with my dad, and uh, that she got up real early in the morning before my dad got up. He worked construction. And my mom was so self-conscious of her image. And she snuck out of bed as quietly as she could without waking up my dad and went into the bathroom. And, you know, my mom, my Mexican mama from Tijuana, you know, she had to have the Mexican uh, McDonald's eyebrows. And uh, so she went all out, you know, and did spent all that time at three, four in the morning and then gargled, you know, Listerine. And like her Mexican ninja self crawled into that bed you know, just ever so slightly kind of got my dad to wake up before he got up for work. And he looked and just so she still looked beautiful. So who, who's more imprisoned? A legalistic church that's a cult that tries to teach shamefacedness and modesty? Or somebody that's afraid that when their husband wakes up and sees them. He won't like what he sees and he'll move on. Who is imprisoned? Are we okay here today? I'm just trying to help us to see some things. To to, to remove the blinders and take scales off of eyes to realize, look, there's some things that are more beautiful. But we so easily can fall into the stream of what this world portrays as important, significant, and beautiful. God, help us. We go on reading here in the word of the Lord. It's 1230. I've been preaching 38 minutes. Do I have a few more minutes? Ha. This world attacks everything that we stand for. If, if, you were, if you were at church camp a couple weeks ago, it was powerful. I would encourage you. You could jot it down if you weren't there. And go to the, the, the South Dakota District UPCI Facebook page. And look up the, the, the teaching that was on Tuesday morning by Mark Jordan on the power of Logos. It was a powerful word. 
And there was a concept that he mentioned in there about the, the, the God being outside of time and how God works. God works from uh, outside of time. We think of like from beginning and we move forward and sometimes we use the past. But God works from Revelation to Genesis. The Bible says everything in the Old Testament is a type and shadow. It's not the very thing or the very image itself, but the, th- the image to come. And so God is steps in eternity. He's outside of time. And everything from the beginning, from the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. When he created the earth and he created the wood in the earth and the iron in the earth, it was all with the intention knowing that those elements would be used to crucify Jesus Christ on that cross. He worked from Revelation to, to Genesis. He worked that way, drawing, pulling everything towards where he is at. And he began to teach on the concept of holiness. Not just holiness, but he's just talking about praise in certain Christian disciplines. The reason why we practice praise here is because we're going this way. We're moving forward to heaven. We're moving forward to the eternal. And we do here what we're going to do there. The Bible says we're going to praise God there. And so because we're preparing to go there, we're praising God now. Because we're going to be there one day praising God for eternity and he went concept after concept then he talked about holiness and it was just a revelation for me I never heard it uh, spoken in that kind of manner because we think of holiness sometimes the way the world makes us feel embarrassed about being holy separate godly and modest it wants us to think that we're in some cultural time capsule from the 1940s and that we're always trying to hold on to some old tradition and try to protect something from way back when and we're behind the times and we need to catch up and we need to modernize and we need to change everything about us. But that's not holiness because holiness is not reaching for the past. Holiness is reaching towards the future because God is holy and God is ahead of us and God is eternal. And when we get to heaven, we will find a God that is holy, that is perfect, that is sacred. No unclean thing will be around that throne. No sin will make it past those pearly gates. I don't practice holiness because of the past. I practice holiness because of my future. I'm going to see Jesus one day and he is holy has called me. So there's this idea, this concept that we are just some back neck woods people trying to hold on to some old tradition from the 1940s. I tell you, gender distinction still applies today. We look at Deuteronomy 22, 5. It says, the woman does not wear that which pertains to a man. A man does not put on what pertains to a woman. If I was to put on a dress right now and I stand in front of this pulpit in a dress preaching to you, would you have a reaction to that? Why would you have a reaction? I don't know what that even meant. Someone said, oh, yeah. We could, we could preach about that for a little bit, too. <laughs> I won't say who said it. God bless them. Anyways, but it would, it would, no matter how much they push it down our throats, we know something still would trigger a reaction. Why? If it's just cultural from 2000 years ago from the 1940s, because today, as much as they try to have, you know, unisex bathrooms, they still put an image up there and the image is slacks and a dress every time. Because it is the universal symbol of gender distinction. It is the universal symbol. And if I am not to wear that which pertains to a woman, what pertains to a man? Slacks. It's that simple. 
Except it's not that simple. Because we are pushed this newfound ideology and culture upon us day after day after day. And if you dare pipe up, the armies come against you and they will rake you over the coals and call you some chauvinistic pig, you messed up cultic weirdo, all that kind of stuff. But see, here's what happens. Here's what happens. Because... Because people keep trying to move the marker of definition of, of marriage, gender identity, gender apparel, because of, there's no end in sight. That's why we're at the level of insanity right now, where there's some, what, 60, 70 genders supposedly right now. What's your preferred pronoun right now? This is absolutely insane. We're, we're on the, the hinge of having an Olympics, and there are men competing as women in the Olympics. Who do you think is going to win? It, it, but we're supposed to feel stupid and inferior if we dare say anything. We'll lose our job. We'll lose our influence. We'll lose everything. And that's the power and the influence of the enemy. God said it from the very beginning. Male, female, marriage, gender distinction. God laid it very clear in the beginning. And that has been the stabilizing force of every single civilization. And America is unraveling. This world is falling apart. There's not much longer Jesus is coming back. And the darker this world gets, the clear holiness makes sense to me. The darker and more warped this gets, it's absolutely obvious to me that the book is still right. This thick old book still got it. This thick old book still makes sense. This thick old book still is the word of God. It's thus saith the Lord. This world's descent into unbridled decadence only reinforces its need for biblical influence of holiness. We need to be a holy church. It's 1245. I get about five, 10 more minutes. You okay? Um, I don't think I'm going to finish it. Maybe I'll have to do this in a couple sermons or something. First John two fifteen through 17. Love not the world, the cosmos. Remember the word adorn? It's from this word right here. Don't love the adornment. Don't love the world's definite. The word modesty and adornment from the same word right here. Don't love the world's definition of modesty. Don't love the world's definition of decor. Don't love the world, neither the things in the world. If any man love the world. Is this on, can everyone see that? Again, we're, this is New Testament grace dispensation, by the way. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Why? Because if you love the world, the love of the Father's not in you. What passion is inside of you that's driving you towards what you're passionate about? That is the indicator if you're falling prey to the system of society. Again, I'm not here to embarrass anybody because we're all sinners, all of us. We all make bad decisions. We've all messed up. We've all done some royally horrible things. So this is not about singling one thing out. This is basically the full counsel of God. Here a little, there a little, going by piece by piece, every part of the Bible. And this is an area where everyone in this room struggles with, by the way. I give honor to my wife who doesn't live a compartmentalized Christianity. Where you see her like this on Sunday but, you know, on Tuesday, you're going to see her in booty shorts, you know, and all completely like dolled out, you know, with pink hair and just like a tongue ring. And she's the same person. Same person. Every day. <laughs> and I thank God that she has endured 
over there. I, I, like, I don't feel it when I walk places, when I travel. But anytime I travel with my wife, it's different every time. Every time I travel with my wife through the airport, I feel eyes glaring towards us every time. I don't voice it to her because, you know, just let her be her. But she feels it more than I do. Guarantee. The glaring look. Because she wants to try to represent something that is biblical. Now, to help you understand that it's spiritual. I travel a lot. And I see a lot of, I see a lot of Muslims in burqas and full hijabs. or I can't think of all the names for it. But full covering. Full, complete covering. All you see is the eyes. And I'll see a group of women walk through the airport like that. And everybody in the airport... Respect. But my wife walks by. Disrespect. Why? Because she represents something biblical. It's a spirit of holiness. Worshiping in spirit and in truth. It is a biblical practice of a spirit that's living inside of her. But see, this world has, they won't address a modest Muslim. They won't confront it. They won't attack it. But you take a modest Christian and they will shame you because it's a spirit. It is a spirit that we're up against in this age. And I know that it is hard for you to take a stance to be modest, especially the heat wave we're in in South Dakota, 100 something, whatever degrees. Going to Idaho, I thought I was going to get a little like break. It's 100 something degrees over there all week. I don't even want to go. But here's the deal. Is this complete pressure, because you, at least in the winter, we can, we can fit in around here. But when summer comes, the clothes start falling off everywhere, and immodesty starts to, and I understand why there's this pressure to gave into that, because it gives you the affirmation, you fit in, you don't get made fun of, you don't get picked on. But I'm telling you, there's something inside of you that's so valuable that the world is afraid of, and they're trying to to get you to fit the, cook, the cookie cut mold. So that is hidden. But I'm telling you, there's power on what is inside of you. You have made been made in the image of God. This world looks on the outward appearance. See, they try to put it on us to make it, make it seem as if the church is outward focused. But we're, we're not flipping out on the world. We're not running up and saying, ah, look at you, how dare you, you look stupid. But it's the other way. So who's more focused on the appearance, the church or the world? Just, just some honest questions to consider. First Samuel 16, 7 says like this. The Lord tells Samuel as he goes to anoint because Samuel is you know, fallen prey to the, the attitude of the world. And he says, because David was the one to be anointed king and he has all these big brothers and he had Eli, Eliab and all the other brothers are big, they're tall, they're buff, they're handsome, they're awesome. And he sees David's eldest brother and goes, surely this is the Lord's anointed. He's tall, he's chiseled like a rock, he looks good. Look how many followers on Instagram. This is the cat's meow. This is the big deal. This is the king. Surely we're going to follow that image. And the Lord says this to him in verse 7. No, 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 no. 
God doesn't look like man looks. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. He saw the heart of David, that ruddy little snot-nosed brat, freckled boy in the backside of a pasture. God says, that's the one, because he's not focused on image. He's focused on writing songs, worshiping me. He's not focused on getting the audience of people. When nobody's around, he's writing music. When nobody's around, he's praying. When nobody's around, he's still faithful to God. When nobody's looking, he's still worshiping the Lord. He doesn't need a selfie. He doesn't need a focus on his face. He doesn't need to focus on, he's just worshiping God. And God says, that's a man after my own heart. That's a man I can anoint and raise as king. That's a man that I can trust leading my people. The story of Jacob, Rachel and Leah, Jacob, that shallow little pig. Rachel, she was some hot mama. He's oh man, she's physically attractive. That yeah, that's what he was all about. And he went after physical attraction, and he loved that. Called it love, but it was really lust. And he got tricked to marry her sister. The Bible said tender eye. Didn't, tender eye doesn't mean like her eyes are soft. It means she's like, yeah, she she. That's literally what it means. Cross-eyed, buck-toothed. Just not physically the way the world would define beauty. And he got stuck with her. And he's disappointed. He's mad. He's, oh my goodness, I married the wrong one because she's, she doesn't match the world standard of beauty and attraction. But who did God choose? See, Rachel had what most girls desire. But that momentary beauty never produced posterity. Ultimately, Rachel wanted what Leah had. The ones that are imprisoned by external beauty never really are satisfied with their image. And they want somebody that has found internal beauty. And they want that. They wish they can find that sense of security and assurance that they have something beautiful that I do not have. And see, Leah had the ability to bring life and family. And the promise of the Messiah did not come from beauty school. In fact, Isaiah 53 verse 2 says this about Jesus. Here's how Jesus grows up before them as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. No form, no comeliness. When we see him, there's no beauty we should desire him. Literally means Jesus was unattractive. Verse 2 in New Living Translation says, My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root out of the dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing. Nothing. To attract us to him. That's Jesus. But inside of him. Was holiness. That broke forth. And redeemed. The ugliest thing of all. Sin. You could paint sin up and make it look good. But at the core it's still sin. But when there's an inner beauty that's discovered, God could have made himself. Man, look, I'll tell you right now, I'd be a terrible God. Like if I could have made myself, I would have been a few feet taller. And a few other things. Don't worry about it. But the problem is this. It would have been so shallow and fallen so short. But see, Jesus, who formed, he, when he got to choose what he's going to look like. He says, I'm not going to focus on this. There's something inside that's more important that can redeem man. I'm telling you, inside of you, I got I to hurry. I got to come to close. I've been going almost an hour. It's 1254. Verse 3, 1 Peter 3 through 5. Who's adorning 
Let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair, wearing of gold, putting on of apparel. That's what this world's about. How much gold can you put on your face? How much gold can you put in your ears? How much gold can you put on your neck? How much gold can you put on your fingers? All this apparel, the fanciest this, the most expensive that, the most immodest this. And Peter, the founder of the church, says, don't do that. Are you listening? Don't do that. This is what you need to do. Let it be the hidden man of the heart. Because that can't be corrupted. The ornament of a meek and quiet spirit in God's sight is so beautiful. If, if you can let what is deep down inside of you be what is seen and focused instead of all your insecurities that you keep maintaining, if you let this break forth, God says that's the great price that he's looking for. Because after this manner, in old time, the holy women also who trusted in God, that's how they adorned themselves. And even though this is a couple thousand years later from the days of Abraham, Peter didn't say, well, it's just some cultural practice. No. 2,000 years later, he says, Abraham had a hold of a spirit that was the right spirit. They had the right spirit of holiness. Holiness is not some cultural old idea. It's a spirit that should be emanating in our lives. But here's the context of that verse. Is verse 1 of 1 Peter 3. I'm just about done. Likewise, you wives. The reason why there's so much physical focus on these epistles towards the ladies when it comes to apparel, it's because that's what ladies struggle with. It's just the truth. Again, you get mad at me, but you know if you have a lick of common sense, it's the truth. And he says... This is why I'm teaching you this. If you're in subject, he says, be in subjection to your own husbands, which again, that flies in the face of culture right now. If your husband's not obeying the Bible, if your husband's not obeying the word, you can win them without the word, meaning you don't have to sit there with an open Bible study in front of them and preach to them. He says you could win them by the conversation of the wives. That word conversation means your behavior how you're conducting yourself, how you carry yourself. And it says in verse 2, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, it says that adorning you have, it's not about the outward adorning. It's not about your plating of hair, wearing of gold, putting on of apparel. It's the hidden man in the heart. He says, if you can ever get the revelation of what's inside of you and let that be what is leading your life and what shines in your home, that's how you can win your husband. That's how you can win your family. That's how you can win other people. And it goes to the flip side as well. Men, if you ever want to see your marriage thrive, if you ever want to see your wife converted, your children converted, let them find the hidden man inside of you of great price. This world has piled on its sin. This physical attraction and attention has its limitations. Because we think the pressure on a lady this day, especially with men that are addicted to pornography and lusting after women, is I got I to gotta try to keep up with the Kardashians. I got to keep up with society. If I'm going to keep my husband behind me, I, I could be relevant 
to him so I could be attractive to him. But your physical appearance has its limitations. But there's a hidden element inside of you that has no cap off. It has no limitations. It has a power. It has a bottomless reservoir that is so attractive and so beautiful. Hear me right now. Sin does not age well, but holiness sure does age well. I thank God for holiness because it maintains a pure spirit. There is a purity in that body. There is a purity in that attitude. There's a purity in that spirit that the longer I stay with my wife, the more beautiful she is to me, the more attractive she is to me. And I believe it's the same way towards me. I may be getting older, slower, shorter, and fatter, but there's a spirit that is inside of me that keeps this marriage strong, that keeps this marriage together. It's a spirit that's going to bless your family. Can we stand together? Uh, uh, Verse 6 of Psalm 51. God desires truth in the inward parts. In the hidden part. He wants you to be made known to wisdom. That's what God's after. This world's after everything outside. And that's why we feel so pressured to take care of the outside the way we do. But all of that is a signal to you. Listen carefully. All these things I'm talking about, modesty, apparel, shamefacedness, makeup, all that stuff, the jewelry. If, if that is something that's in your world, again, anyone here that's wearing any of that, we don't have a bad attitude towards you. We're not trying to single you out. We're not trying to embarrass nobody. So if you feel that way, I'm just letting you know that's, that's not for me. That's not from this church. Nobody here, we don't judge nobody. But we are here to speak about what's going on in society right now and biblically what we need to be doing. But the reason why we do what we do and dress the way we dress and wear what we wear and act the way we act is because we're going with the current of the cosmos. There is a flow of this world. And God's called us to be countercultural and to be biblically holy. And there's a beauty to it. And the world wants to make you feel so embarrassed if you would dare make a stand to practice biblical modesty, separation, distinction. We are in a society buried in lies and shame, but God is mining for that hidden part of you. This world's so hypocritical. I, I get so mad at this world. I really do. They're, hip, they're such hypocrites. They're such hypocrites. And they just, they, 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 they market you. They take it, they exploit the weakest element of us. And they take advantage of it. And they make money off you. They don't care if you go broke. They don't care if you go in debt. They'll let you run that plastic as many times as possible. And so you're so addicted and bound by that image that you're chasing. And then when you can't pay for anyone, they'll spit you up, chew you out, make you feel inferior, insignificant, and ugly, and move on. Until you come back with some more money. Proverbs 11, 11, 22. Three verses, I'm done. It's 102. I've been preaching over an hour. As a jewel of gold in a swine's snout, so is a fair woman that is without discretion. Physical beauty is the most insignificant, smallest part of actual beauty. 
I mean, who would who would go up to that pig like, oh my goodness, look at that pig. Man, that 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 nose piercing on that pig is so beautiful. I want to marry that pig. Like nobody would do that. But yet the world will say, that's what beauty is. That's what we need to do to be beautiful, to be culturally relevant. Proverbs 31 30. Favor is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman that fears God. I just want to encourage every lady that's in this room here. Because you, you face it more than guys do. Like, I can, I can, I don't want to say get away. But I can get away with walking through the airport in a suit and they just think I'm some business guy. But I will say this. There is a spirit of holiness, even as a guy that's dressed up in a suit. Like, I don't think I'm something like, wow, Pastor Brown is, like, so hot. Like, I don't think, like, I'm, like, this attractive figure. But I will say there's a difference in who I was and who I am. And this is what I mean. Is when I was, when I was, when I did not have an actual spirit of holiness, I may have had some externals down, but I didn't have a spirit of holiness. I had a lot of advances and offers. Propositions. But when I actually fell in love with holiness and God, they drastically went down. I didn't change physically in appearance, but spirits attract spirits. And so that's how you can know if you're a guy that has a spirit of holiness is what traffic do you attract? It can be pretty telling about something that you need to maybe crucify. Isaiah 61, 10, I give honor to all the ladies here that you go through a lot more than we do. And here, this is something that I felt the Lord speak to me. It, it, is, it is a shame to a church that won't address that topic when there is a, the, the strength of most churches are ladies right now. And it's an injustice to ladies that are taking a stand when no one will stand in a pulpit and talk about it to reinforce and encourage the ladies that are doing their dead level best to live holy as unto the Lord. And so just take today's sermon to all the ladies that are in the house. It's the best way I can compliment you to try to encourage you that you are beautiful. You do not need to fit into the image of this world to be beautiful. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And what you stand for is the most beautiful thing. And so this is my way to compliment you and to encourage you. Isaiah 61, 10, last, maybe last verse. It's 65 minutes of preaching. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. He's clothed me with garments of salvation. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness. Because this is how the world does it. They'll, they'll beautify a lady by decking her with ornaments and jewels. But God says, that's not how I adorn you. I want to clothe you with salvation and righteousness. It's the most beautiful thing that God can give you. You don't need more money. You don't need more all this apparel stuff to try to fit in and be beautiful and get affirmation from people around you. What you need is to be clothed with the righteousness of God. The clothes. Can we lift our hands for a moment? Ha. Ah, there's a presence of the Lord that is here that is so sweet.
that is so pure, that is so gentle, that is so sacred, that is so awesome. I come against the spirit of insecurity that is in this room. The ladies that are in this room that are struggling, that you feel ugly, you feel inferior, you feel like God made you wrong, you're messed up, and there's some things that you got to alter and change to try to fit in and survive in this world. I come against that lie right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I take that spirit by the throat. I grasp it with my hand. I choke it out and I tell it to get out. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I release a spirit of holiness in this house. I speak a spirit of meekness. I speak a spirit that is shamefacedness, that in the sight of God is of great price. Lady of God, woman of God in this room, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And in God's eyes, you are beautiful. You have a great price. You have a great value. Hallelujah. Hey, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Hallelujah, 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 Hallelujah. Ah, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we, can we lift our hands across this room right now? Can we lift our voices across this room right now? Can we pray for a spirit of holiness? Can we pray that there would be a return to shamefacedness? Come on, you don't need to draw attention to your face. You need to draw attention to God. If you draw attention to God, you'll win your husband. If you draw attention to God, you'll win your wife. If you draw attention to God, you'll win your children. If you draw attention to God, you'll win your neighbor. If you draw attention to God, you'll win your mother, your father. Come on, church. Stop drawing attention to our face. Stop drawing attention to our body. And let's draw attention to Jesus. Let there be a meek and quiet spirit that in the sight of God is of great price. God, I want the spirit that is invaluable. I want a spirit, Lord, that reaches the masses. Lord, that they long for, that they need. Is there any in this place that right now want to give God the attention? Is there any in this room right now that wants to give God the attention? Come on in the name of Jesus. Don't worry about your face. Don't worry about your image. Just give God some attention right now. Let there be a reverence and an awe. Let there be a look of holiness that puts all attention towards the one that is holy. Jesus, you're holy. Jesus, you're sacred. Jesus, you're awesome. And God in holiness there will be revival in holiness there will be conversion in holiness there will be marriages spared in holiness God there will be conversion of family in holiness God the stances that we take Lord it is not a hurdle it is a highway it is a highway it's a highway to the throne of God it's a highway to the presence of the most high Lord Come on, let there be a prayer right now going up. Lord, I want to emanate a spirit of holiness. I want to emanate a spirit of holiness, righteousness, godliness, purity, separation. Lord, I have fallen prey time and time again to the elements of this world. Lord Jesus, I have a hope that is heavenly. And Lord, that heavenly hope is causing me to want to live pure as I am pure. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, that's it. That's it, 
cry out to God. Come on, you are made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. Let's not depend on this world. Let's not depend on a graven image of society. Come on, your value is found in the throne room. Your value is found in the presence of God. Return to the altar. Return to prayer. Return to the word. And when you get in depth in the word, when you get in depth in the presence of God, he will show you your real value. He will show you who you really are. You're a child of God. You're a child of God. Hey, come on, let there be a prayer that goes forth. Let there be an intercession that goes forth. Ah, come on, there ought to be some prayer going forth. Come on, there ought to be some intercession right now. There ought to be some crying forth right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.